Oh my gosh. One, two, three. How you guys doing? That's still weak. Whatever. We'll, we'll get we'll get to it someday, guys. We'll get there one day. <laughs> I'm so blessed by all of you. And um, I'm happy that we are here and we're going to learn God's word together. I have a couple announcements for you guys. And um, it's, it's really something happened to me um, that like I just have to share. You guys ever get that, that kind of moment where like something happened, like God showed me something and it's like I cannot contain it. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, you know, when you get together with your bros or with your, your sisters, <laughs> you know, sometimes you get into some real talk, you know what I mean? And, uh, Wilson and I, we were, we were just getting into some really deep talk, you know, and it was, and I was sharing my heart and my burdens and my desire for Sunday nights and my desire for, you know, just how, how, how am I supposed to preach? And, and I was just explaining all of this stuff to Wilson and Wilson's like, yeah, duh. You know, and he, and he mentioned and he mentioned this one verse. It was it was First Corinthians two two, which is Paul saying, "I know nothing else but to preach to you Christ and Him crucified." And and then it hit me because this is this was my heart. You know, anytime I preach, you know, this 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 is my my heart is that people would come to know Jesus. I, I don't want I don't want to come up here and and start getting philosophical with you. I don't want to come up here and start reasoning with you. I, I just want to preach Jesus to you. Is that okay? And with that being said, and I'm glad that we have the core Sunday night group here tonight. We have the core Sunday night group here tonight. And, and I made this promise to you a while ago. And I'm going to make this promise again. If you are faithful to bring non-believers here, I will cast out the net. Okay? If you are faithful to bring people that don't know Jesus, they will know who Jesus is by the end of tonight. Amen? And so we have a couple tools for that. First of all, we made these. And these you're going to find in your bulletins. I want you to raise your hand if you have not gotten a bulletin yet. Raise your hand nice and high and we will get one too. There's a couple things that we are changing about the bulletin that uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you in a couple minutes. So raise your hand nice and high if you don't have a bulletin. You do need one. A lot of the times bulletins are like, ah, no, thank you. You know, just, just trash, you know, but we want to make it a tool. Does that make sense? Yeah. Amen. We want to make the bulletin a tool, not trash, right? So raise your hand if you did not receive a bulletin. There's more in the back. Well, well yeah, you know, she, she, that's my lovely mother. She's been working very hard. Yeah. Isn't she beautiful? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we have a couple over here. We have a couple over here. And so what, these are invite cards. And these invite cards serve a purpose, okay? They're, it's not, hey, come check out the music at my church. Hey, come check out the preacher. He's really cool. It's, hey, I want to invest in you. I want, I, you are my friend. I want you to know what I know, and I will bring you. But here's an invite card to constantly remind you. And then I want you to take another one. And I want you to give it to them again and again and again until they come to church, Okay? <laughs> Keep giving it to them until they come to church. Give them this invite card. And what will happen is that we will faithfully catch, cast out the net every single Sunday night. We want people to get saved. That's all that matters is Christ and him crucified. Right? That's all that matters. And then we're going to have another thing. Um, in your bulletins, you'll find this. This is for me and you. This is between you and I. Okay? This is our way of communication, and this is our way of accountability, okay? Here are all the scriptures I'm going to be using tonight, okay? And you are going to hold me to using all of them. If I ever stop using the word of God, if I ever just graze through a passage and then talk about whatever I want to talk about, you have my permission to kick me out. Yeah, hit me. I'm telling you. If I stop preaching the word of God, you have my permission to go to the leadership at this church and say, Zach's not doing his job. Amen? Yeah. Right? Okay. So this is so you can follow along with me. Okay? These are all the scriptures I'm going to be using tonight. Okay? The word of God is first and foremost here on Sunday nights and here at Godspeed Calvary Chapel on Sunday mornings as well. Amen? So without further ado, let's get into Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there is some laying in the aisles here, if you don't have a Bible. 
but you also have that handy dandy sheet to help you follow along. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Everyone there? I'm excited. We're talking about murder and adultery tonight. It's going to get heavy. <laughs> it's going to be cool. Let's, let's uh, get into the word. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard it that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, yeah, everyone disses their brother like that, right? Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you were on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Verse 27, this is where it gets super sketch. You have heard it. You've heard that it was said of, uh, to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in her, uh, with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you than uh, one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Whoa. All right. Jesus, Lord Jesus, we need you tonight. Invade our hearts. God, may our hearts be knitted to yours. God, just help us recognize that you, first and foremost, God, satisfy us. You fill that hole in our hearts that, that causes anger and lust. Teach us tonight, Father, what you would will for us. And it is in your precious Son, Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We learned last time, the last time we met, and we, we skipped last week, we had, we had Chuck Smith's memorial, but, but, but last time we met, we learned about Jesus' reverence for the law. Jesus has this extreme reverence for the law. You know, a, a lot of the religious leaders would go up to Jesus and they said, because they held their own traditions equal to God's law, they would then accuse Jesus of not being... Um, uh, equated or, or, or pretty much casting and, and doing away with God's law. And Jesus came and said, I, I, I have come to fulfill the law. I love the law more than all of you. I, I have come to die and fulfill the law. And we learned that the promise that was given to Abraham even before the law was even made, that was the promise that we were always supposed to attain salvation. We learned that the law was never, ever, ever meant for salvation. The law was never meant, the Ten Commandments was never meant to give us salvation. It was always meant to point us towards the character of God and make us in need of a Savior. That is what the law's function was. And what had to happen over time and what tends to happen to us today with the religious leaders and us as well is that they use the law to build themselves up. They would use the law to, uh, to obtain more merit. That there was then levels of Jews, okay? There were certain levels of Jews. And if you just read one chapter in the book of Galatians, you will find out that there is absolutely no levels with God. There is no better Christian. There is no worse Christian. That's absurd. But what, what, what they did by following, if I follow more rules than such, if I, if I follow more rules than him, that makes me better than him. If I follow the law more, that makes me more. It makes me more holy. 
The more laws we can keep, the less rules we broke, the more holy we are. And this was the mindset that the Pharisees and the religious leaders and many Jews of that time had gotten and, and, and gotten stuck into. That's what was happening. And we discussed last time that uh, the law was never intended us for us to follow in that way. The law has always been meant to put us under sin. Okay. The law has always been meant not to make us uh, towards where we have more merit than others, but to actually level the playing field. The law was always meant to level the playing field, not meant to create different levels. It was supposed to put all under sin. And unfortunately, the opposites happened. The Pharisees had saw it, saw the law as a safety net for their own sin as well. And this is what I mean. It would say like, sure, I verbally abused them. I mocked them in front of their friends and their families. And I went out of my way to make sure their lives were miserable. But at least I didn't murder them. Right? You know, have you heard people say that? Well, it's not like I murdered anyone. It's not like I slept with her or anything. I just did A, B, and C. And, and, and so what we try to do, we try to justify our own holiness by looking at God's law, saying, well, well, here's the standard. The standard is do not murder. The standard is do not commit adultery. And I have met that standard. I have not murdered anyone. And I have been faithful to my spouse. Or as a single man, I have not, I'm not sleeping around. Or a single woman. And so we use the law to justify our own holiness. But, but what Jesus is coming to say is that, no, 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 you're not getting deep enough. You're using what was meant to display God's attributes as a reason to display and, and justify your attributes. This is what was happening. We do the same today. And if it's not an outward sin, it's an inward sin, right? I mean, uh, we do the same. We give place to our anger and our lust as long as we don't commit it socially. You guys notice that? I'm always leaving room for anger and lust in my heart as long as I am not outwardly displaying it. An example is, well, I know you're really mad at them. I know you really just want to hurt them. But why don't you take this pillow and beat that up instead? Right? Why don't you just scream into your pillow as hard as you can? Why don't you, you throw it across the room and just pretend it's like that person? That's what they did in football. Just, just picture somebody you really hate and just lay in them. Leaving room for anger and hate in our heart without displaying it socially. Another example is we're not having sex. We're not, uh, my, my, my girlfriend and I, my, or my boyfriend and I, we're not having sex. So, so watching this on the internet is justified. I'm not committing sexual sin. We're going to hit hard today, guys. <laughs> Bear with me. So Jesus says, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. This is meaning that if you call your brother Raka, which means, you know, kind of just like a, not even a joking, but more like a, um, a statement saying oh, you're stupid, you know? Just to put in layman's terms for all of you. Raka is, it's a less formal, but, but it's to say you fool back then. You worthless piece of filth. That's what it was like. Think of, think of the most, the thing that would grind into you the deepest. Calling someone a fool back then was like that. Attacking someone's character. And then he says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Or whoever lusts after a man has committed adultery in her heart. Jesus here is going back to the law's original function. Okay, we, we discuss this. The law's original function is to bring all under sin. Galatians 3.22, it's on your little sheet. The scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus might be given to those who believe. Meaning this, that the law's function is meant for us all to say, I don't have it all together. 
Well, while the Jews were using this saying, well, I do have it all together because I have not committed A, B, and C. Jesus is saying, no, 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 you have committed it just on actually a deeper level, not an external level, but on an internal level, you have committed this. You have committed this sin. And so Jesus is going back to the original function of the law, which is to put all under sin. Okay. So all can experience grace because if you are not under sin, there's no way you can experience the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Right? If, if you're not sinful, if there's no problem, you can't fix it. Right? You can't fix something when you don't see it as a problem in the first place. And, and, and like I said, you know, a, a lot of us, we don't, we don't tend to say, I have anger issues. Right? Well, some, some of you may. Some of you may be like, well, I have intense anger issues. Or a lot of us wouldn't say, I'm, you know, especially in our vernacular, I have serious adultery issues. Right? Well, like, we, we don't say that. I, I don't have anger issues. I don't have lust issues. Because a lot of the times when we think of anger issues or we think of lust issues, we think of external factors. But, you know, for, for some of you, if you're anything like me, when somebody cuts you off, you're not like honking your horn. You're not going crazy, waving your hands in the air. You're just like, oh, I'm just going to put that away in my never forgive file. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, like some of you just in your heart, you're just like, they're dead to me. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of the times when, when your friends diss you or when you're offended by something, if you're anything like me, you're not going to just get all up in their grill right? Because you have an image to maintain. You're going to just kill them in your heart. You're just be like, never forgive file right there. Never. You're not getting a Christmas card this year, right? I mean, this is kind of just what happens. And so Jesus is trying to tell us, you do have anger issues. You do have lust issues. We all do. We all do. And so Jesus is, like always, is trying to get to the heart of the issue. Because he wants you to experience grace. You can't experience grace if you don't think you need saving. This is Jesus' form of mercy. A lot of the times when Jesus lays into us like this, it's him saying, I want to be with you. Love me. It's like, why, but why anger and lust specifically? Why, I mean, because Jesus kind of stops there. He stops at anger and lust, and he doesn't really go through all the other emotions. Why anger and lust? You know, Jesus, and I would submit to you that it's because Jesus is trying to establish a kingdom. I, I want you guys to know that the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, all together, they are Jesus establishing what his perfect society looks like, Right? We, we've learned about this. The, the entire Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, this is my kingdom, and this is what my kingdom citizens look like. This is what kingdom citizens look like. This is what Christians look like. And so when we look at the, when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we get a glimpse of what his perfect society looks like. What his perfect society looks like. This is how Christians look. This is how they act. This is how they interact. This is how they pray, etc. This is what Jesus is going through on the Sermon on the Mount. While humility, peacemaking, and mercy, all attributes we've learned about already, and the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the merciful, while all of these are attributes of citizens of the Spirit, Anger and lust are attributes of citizens of the flesh. Okay? I'm going to say that again. While humility, peacemaking, and mercy, the things we see in the Beatitudes, they are attributes of kingdom citizens, heavenly kingdom citizens, kingdoms of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of the Holy Spirit. But then anger and lust are attributes of the citizens of the kingdom of the flesh. And I'll show you why in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, revelries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things of the like. 
I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now you see all of these enmity, strife, jealousy, sexual immorality, impurity. All of these things can be camped into two separate emotions, which are what? Anger and lust. All of these, all everything of the works of the flesh, all the fruits of the flesh, because right after he tells us the fruits of the spirit, the fruits of the flesh can be camped into these two categories, anger and lust, which can all be clumped into one category. Can anybody tell me what that is? Sin. What's the root of all sin? Evil. Pride. Pride. Anger and lust can be clumped into one category, pride. And, and a lot of you, by the end of this, you're going to be like, well, I wish Zach talked a little bit more on, on adultery and, and, and the repercussions of that. And I'm going to let you know that um, next week, we're going to have a special guest speaker. It's going to be super awesome. We're going to have Micah preach, and I'm super stoked about that. And I'll tell you why next week, why I'm super stoked about Micah preaching. And then the following week, we're going to tackle... We're going to tackle sexual immorality. We're going to be tackling jealousy and marriage. You're going to hear a 19-year-old preach on marriage. Come. Yeah, it's going to be cool. But, but getting back to my point, pride is the root of all of this. And, and, and so Jesus' goal here is to completely obliterate your pride. Completely obliterate your pride because anger is a result of me wanting things for my kingdom and he or she is keeping me from what I desire. So I will do whatever I can to make sure that they are miserable. That's anger. Anger is I am inconvenienced. They pay the price. They have caused my kingdom to stumble. They have caused my pride to be hurt. Therefore, I shall retaliate. That's anger. Now, don't mistake the anger that Jesus is talking about, which is a festering, bitter anger and righteous indignation. Do not mistake the two. There is an anger reserved for Jesus, and we will talk about that in a later study. Okay? But this is an anger that festers. This is an anger that wishes harm on others. Anger is a result of you and your kingdom being shot down. Your pride. And then lust is a result of me wanting he or she from my kingdom. And he or she has what I want. Therefore, I will do whatever I can to take that. That's lust. Anger is I will do whatever I can to make sure that they are miserable because they have hurt me. Lust is, I will do whatever I can to hurt them so I can have what they have. And all of these, both of these can be clumped in to us all about us. Us all about us. The epitome of selfishness will manifest itself in anger and lust. The epitome of self-centeredness will manifest itself outwardly when other people don't do what we want. Therefore, we will hurt them, we will despise them, or we will take something from them. This is selfishness. And the scary thing about anger and lust is that they are very, very progressive emotions. Am I right? They gain momentum fast. A small argument with your spouse about who is going to do the dishes can immediately and very quickly turn into a battle in the house. Can it not? Uh, Having just one small passive aggressive, aggressive comment from a friend or a spouse can turn into this myriad of lashing at one another. Friendly conversations with a cute coworker can quickly turn into adultery fast nobody usually sees it coming even though there are clear you know signs that it's going to come 
anger and lust progress so fast. So what do we do? And, and, and Jesus submits that we do at least two things. And these are two simple things that I have deducted from this. Okay, because I want to bring it back to Jesus real quick. All right? We always got to bring it back to Jesus. And so we look here that, that we can combat lust and anger in two different ways, which is make roadblocks for your sin and keep the gospel close to your heart. Keep the gospel close to your heart and make roadblocks for your sin. We're going to go back to our original verse and verse 23, where it says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him. Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. See that progression of not reconciling. Okay, that's what Jesus is talking about. And then we see in verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you uh, that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you than to one of your members to perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. What Jesus is saying here is never, ever, 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 ever try and justify being angry or lusting after someone. Do not leave sanctions for this to happen. Make roadblocks for your sin. You know where small arguments lead to. You know where scrolling on the internet leads to. You know what talking with that cute coworker leads to. You know what happens. Make roadblocks for your sin. Don't try to justify it in your head. And this is something I try to do a lot. When I'm angry with someone or if I'm lusting after someone, okay, I'm struggling so hard with all of you, all right? Anger and lust, something, because how prideful I am, something I struggle with, okay? And, and so I want you to know that if you try to justify it in your head or at least try to negotiate with your conscience, you will lose. It, it becomes an internal dialogue in your head, almost like Smeagol and Gollum in Lord of the Rings, you guys, master doesn't want to hurt us. Yes, he does. You know, it's like, kill him, kill him. Right? It's just a, this internal diet, which is a perfect picture of what goes on in our head. Right? Kill him. Kill the hobbitses. Right? This just happens. Okay? If you try to justify this stuff in your head, if you're having a conversation with yourself, who's going to be benefited at the end? Yourself. Don't try to have this internal dialogue in your head because you will lose. What happens? Smeagol loses. Sad day. I almost cried. Identify your anger. Identify your anger. Identify your lust. You know where it leads, right? You know where those passive aggressive comments to your spouse lead, right? Well, if only you did something for once, right? Well, if only you did the dishes, you know? Same with your kids or with your roommate. If only you did that, right? You know where those lead? Just cut it off right there. And you know we're looking up that thing on the internet. I wonder what this, this, I wonder what this button does. You know where it goes. You got to cut it off. Stop it. If you are currently in an argument with somebody right now and you have not reconciled it now, get up, leave the church and go. That's what this scripture says. Jesus is saying, if you have an issue with somebody that is unresolved and you are putting something at the altar, even if you're doing something as amazing as worshiping God, if that has happened, if there's an unresolved conflict, you get out of this church now or maybe leave during worship so nobody judges you, okay? I know you know, there's people around here, all right? Uh, me, me too. I should leave right now, but I have to preach to you, okay? There's unresolved conflict. Leave right after service or during worship or whatever. Go and reconcile. 
Because we see here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't let the sun set on your anger. You should never be angry for someone with someone. You should never be angry with somebody for over a day. That's biblical. You guys know that? You should never hold a grudge longer than a day. Some of you have been holding one for years. Biblical anger only lasts for a day. Because a day is all you need to pick up the phone, call that person and reconcile. Don't leave any room for sin. And the same thing goes with lust as it does anger. Proverbs 7, 6 through 10. I thought the NIV translation was the best, so I'm going to read that to you. At the window of my house, I looked down through my lattice, through my window. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. Yeah, uh-oh. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came the woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with her crafty intent. So here we have this young man. The, the, the guy who's writing the proverb, probably, you know, it was either Solomon or David. You know, he's, he's looking outside his window, and he sees this dopey young guy. He's just like, oh, it's getting late. I wonder where I am. He knows where he is. He's walking around. I wonder what's around this corner. Oh, it's getting late. I should probably find shelter. Who are you? (laughs) This young dodo is walking around near the prostitute's house, and he is leaving room for sin, acting like he's ignorant, just walking around. I wonder what's going to happen. Oh, acting like they're stumbling over sin. I was an accident. Oh, totally caught me by surprise. Guys, I'm going to be real with you because I struggle with you. Okay, young men, especially. You shouldn't be on your computer past nine o'clock when nobody's in the room. Period. Seriously. It got to a point where I kept my computer downstairs. When I was living at my parents' computer downstairs, iPad downstairs, that didn't go upstairs. Don't leave room for sin, period. It's a struggle, but keep going. Cut it out before it gets out of control. So that's the first one. Don't leave room for sin. Put roadblocks up for your sin. Cut off that limb if it's making you sin, okay? Secondly, Keep the gospel close to your heart. This is the most important. Everything in your life can be mended by the gospel and don't let anyone ever tell you differently. Everything, every problem in your life can be mended by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And if anyone tries to tell you different, oh, there's this eight-step program, you know, that you can take. Don't, Jesus is the answer. He can solve all of your problems. And so, Keeping the gospel close to your heart is what will keep you from anger and lust. What is the gospel? The gospel simply is we have committed high treason against the creator of the universe. God created us. He wanted to be with us. We decided he wasn't good enough, so we sinned. Pride. I want to be like God. That's how the first sin happened. We're like, uh, Eve wasn't hungry, okay, She wanted to be like God. Satan said, hey, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. She said, bueno. And she ate it. We have stolen what is his and we have denied his name and we have used his name in vain. We have hurt people. We have lied. We have cheated and we have cursed God right to his face. Yet, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Though we have committed high treason against our creator, though God loved us and created us to be with us and we strayed away from him, God said, no, 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 I'm still pursuing you. He came down as flesh. He came down as man. He came down as Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for all of your sins. Then he rose again on the third day, proving that death has no power. When he took your sins to the grave, they stayed in the grave. And then he rose again. And now our faith in Christ, we now live with that risen savior. 
This is the gospel. We now live with this risen Savior, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now we live a life in the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This means that we, individually and collectively, no longer live for ourselves. Anger and lust are a result of us living for who? Us. Anger and lust are bred out of us wanting things for our kingdom. But now that we have Jesus, and if we keep the gospel close to our hearts, we realize that something radical happens. Something radical occurs. That our comfort, our pride, our status... Our social status, our image, our money, and our merit no longer holds any importance because all that matters is expanding God's kingdom. That's all that matters anymore. You see, when you keep the gospel close to your heart, you realize that your family, your friends, your spouse, your school, everything else is secondary compared to bringing people to Jesus. And this is the realization that I have come to know recently. Nothing else matters. Everything else is secondary. My pride no longer holds any weight because I am now committed to expanding God's kingdom because we live in this chapter of the gospel, which is restoration. Restoring things back to the way God intended them to be. Romans 15, verses 1 through 6. I'll close with this. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who were reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before uh, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel gives us a new society, a new way of thinking. It is an others-centered way of living. Pride has no room for those who are living for others, for those that are living for Jesus. If my focus is on Jesus and those who he wants to bring to him, then somebody offending me is no longer a reason for anger. <laughs> it's cool. When the gospel is close to your heart, somebody being mean to me, somebody offending me in some sort of way, somebody hurting my pride, no longer becomes about me. It becomes about them. And how can I help them? Lust then turns into this desire for good. While lust is how can she or he please me, the gospel is how can I lead them to Jesus. You see others differently through the lens of the gospel. And it's so liberating to not have to worry about myself. That's a liberating feeling. And I want you to all experience that tonight and throughout the entire week. This liberating feeling that if we are Christians and we are gospel-centered people, then the weight of our own pride and the weight of trying to expand our own kingdom then just falls off of our shoulders and it becomes about others. Every argument, every little detail becomes about how can I expand God's kingdom? And that's something that's beautiful. And I want you all to receive that tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want that liberation to come upon you tonight. And so I'm going to ask Wilson and the worship team to come up. And we're going to pray just for a spirit of liberation here tonight. We're going to pray that, that the shackles be broken. We're going to pray that our pride would be done with. 
and that the great commission becomes our kingdom. Amen? Father, we love you. We love you so much. God, thank you for satisfying that part of us, Lord. Thank you for satisfying that part of us that gets angry, that deep-rooted anger and that deep-rooted lust. Thank you for filling that void with with your love, Jesus. Father, I pray that you, upon all of these people, including myself tonight, Lord, that you would just, your Holy Spirit would move radically here tonight. That you would empower us by your grace to do away with ourselves, to crucify ourselves, Lord. And puts you on high, Lord. I love shakah. The word for worship in the Old Testament is shakah. It means to prostrate oneself. To bow down. And nothing is below us and everything is above us. Putting all else of more importance than ourselves. Including you, God. And mostly you, God. Father, be with us tonight, Lord, as we worship you. And I I pray for, for all of you. For some of you who want that liberation, who, who want to do away with their anger and who, who want to have more purpose in their life. For those of you who want to receive that tonight, I just, I pray that the Holy Spirit be upon you tonight. Dane is going to be back there for prayer and I'm going to volunteer Emily to be back there for prayer. We're going to be right back there near the entrances. If you need prayer, if you need to do away with your anger, if you need to do away with your lust or any problems that you have, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior tonight, then I pray that that would happen in the name of Jesus. Here we have communion as a part of our worship to remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. What am I going to say? I say it's about marriage. Every time. I'm going to say that Jesus is proposing to you via his covenant. And that lust and that anger, Jesus wants to fill that void. So you drinking of his covenant, you accepting what he has tonight, is you saying, Lord, I want your kingdom to be first and foremost in my heart. And so, Lord, I pray for all of those people tonight, Lord. I pray that we would worship you as shakah putting you up high. We leave no room for ourselves tonight. You are the subject of our worship and you are the king over our hearts tonight. Be the king over our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We're back there for prayer if you need us. But let's worship God unhinged, amen? Let's make a joyful shout to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Has promised good to 
the earth. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever. next song that we're going to sing is called uh, Kingdom and Rescue, but I, before we sing that, I want to read you the scripture. I'm just going to drop everything. Um, so earlier I was like really stressed out because I had like, you know, I'm not really a planner, but I, you know, I like planned out all the songs and stuff and I just felt really stressed out because like rehearsal didn't, you know, was kind of, it was rickety and not very smooth and so I was like, I was just stressed out for no, I mean, you know, no good reason. I was just like, oh, things aren't going the way I planned and blah, blah, blah. So anyways, I went into Zach, I went into the office and sat in, at Zach's desk and I opened up his Bible and I was like, I want to read a Psalm. So I went, I read Psalm 120. That was what was in front of me. And so this is what it said. Um, in my distress, I cried out to the Lord and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? Or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior uh, with coals um, of the broom tree. Boom. Woe is me that I dwell in Mesek, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. And this last part is powerful. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And, you know, I read that and I realized, like, you know, we, we live in a society that doesn't like peace. You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Jesus is peace. And our, you know, our society doesn't really like Jesus. Um, and, but on top of that, we're constantly at war. Um, you know, Paul says not against flesh, but against powers and principalities, the air. You know, like, we're, we're at war with spiritual evil. And they're liars. They have deceitful tongues. And they're fighting against us, but God has come to rescue us because he's heard our cry. So let's sing the song.
came to my rescue and I want to be where Love 